Ah, yes. It is MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. We are a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network, and we are recording from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Today, we head to the AL Central, where we're talking Minnesota Twins, and joining me is Brandon Warren of Access Twins. Brandon, good morning. Thanks for jumping on. How are you today? Hey, not too bad. How are you doing? Doing all right. So, the Twins are an interesting team to me because they now have a competitor in the Chicago White Sox that's going to be sticking around for several years to come. The Royals are getting better. I don't know what to make of Cleveland at this point, but as it sits right now, are the Twins still the prohibitive favorite to win the American League Central in 2021? Well, for me, they are, but I'm more focusing on depth. I think the biggest issue that could plague the Twins is if any of Chicago's, basically their budding superstars becomes a superstar, Eloy Jimenez, Yoan Mancada, Luis Robert. If one of those three guys becomes a superstar, like five best players in the game, then it gets uh, a lot more difficult to say that the Twins have more depth because that superstardom can cover up a lot of issues like starting Adam Eaton in right field every day. So I think the Twins have a deeper 26-man roster, but with that said, you can't deny that Chicago does a lot of things really well. They're going to hit. They're going to have a really good bullpen. The front of their rotation is good, but they're an injury away from having, you know, probably 500 plate appearances, 600 plate appearances for Lurie Garcia or someone even worse than that. So if they can stay healthy, they're certainly in a good place. But I think we know in a 162-game season, that's awfully hard to do. In 60 games, they did a nice job. 162, that can be a whole other story. So for me, I'm still taking the Twins, but obviously it's not a slam dunk by any means. Is there pressure on Rocco Baldelli to get past the first round of the playoffs this year? Because it feels like for the Twins, they're a team that is good enough to get to that next step. They just have been at the curse of the Yankees not being able to get past the first round and then obviously the Astros this past year for as well as the Twins played in a small sample size probably their worst series of the year was their playoff series against Houston yeah it really came at a bad time for them how they played against Houston and a team they they should have been able to take care of not only was Houston I, I believe under 500 but it was also at target field so yeah I mean there's pressure there it's not hot seat type pressure it's not intense pressure but it's also Minnesota and so it's not like the Minnesota fan base in any sport is that overbearing it's more of a resignation to failure because the Vikings have never won a Super Bowl and the Wild have never won a Stanley Cup the Timberwolves have never won an NBA title and the Twins haven't won anything in 30 years in terms of a World Series but they hold the longest playoff streak, losing streak in, in major sports history. And they haven't won a playoff game since my first year of college. So just winning a playoff game would be a step in the right direction. But yeah, fans are, are starting to get a little bit antsy. They were so bad for so long over the last decade since Target Field opened outside of that first season that they're really itching for meaningful playoff baseball, hopefully in front of fans and some some wins in October. So, yeah, th- they said they didn't really feel the pressure the first year Rocco was there, but that was more because they hadn't been part of it. I think now they're starting to see, yeah, 
we know what this fan base is all about, and we need to start making some things happen in October. We're here with Brandon Warren of Access Twins, previewing the Minnesota Twins on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. Brandon, I'm from the Bay Area, and so this player has been one of my favorite players forever because I loved him when he was in Oakland. But after what was a really poor 2020, granted small sample size, at age 35, the four-year deal that the Twins gave Josh Donaldson looks more like an albatross than a deal. Are you concerned that Donaldson is on the decline and more concerned given that this is the first of three more years on that contract? Yeah, I think you have to worry about the cap too because I don't know. I I mean, obviously I'm not an expert medically, but the cap seems like it would be a muscle that would be difficult to, to train in a way to, to prevent injuries that are already happening. You know, we, we have bigger muscle groups and more obvious muscle groups that are used in baseball. So you add to the fact that he's, he's 35. So he's certainly not what by any stretch of the imagination in baseball young and yeah, big, big money deal. And if he can't play third base where he's great defensively, that certainly hurts his value as well. It, it, a lot can go back in the positive direction this year if he can stay healthy like he did in Atlanta. But obviously the odds are not in favor of that overwhelmingly. With that said, you know, he's a baseball rat. He's a workout warrior. And I know that I've seen some footage of the Twins kind of working on some different strengthening exercises for his calves. It's, it's going to be interesting because, yeah, there's a very real chance that it could be a bad contract already. But those are the chances you have to take if you want to bring in a guy who can alter the face of your franchise. And that's what the hope is, and that's what the hope continues to be. And if that's not the case, then two more years of this, and then it's time for something new. But I think they're still hopeful, and I think it still makes sense to have some glimmer of hope that he can get back to where he was, because in Atlanta he did that after dealing with calf issues. But I do think it's got to be concerning that it's both calves separately. So I don't know. It's, it's really hard to know what to make of the situation because he, he works out so hard as is, and it's still happening. So there has to be some answer in there, but I luckily I, it's above my pay grade and I don't have to figure it out. Brandon, one of the best players that nobody in baseball talks about, in my opinion, at least from a power standpoint is Max Kepler. Now Kepler is somebody that per his numbers in 2019 had a down 2020. So I guess my question for you is, what is the next step for Max Kepler? And do you feel like he has to hit above 250 to be a viable guy in the middle of that Twins lineup? Because to me, I just look at his numbers, and while the power numbers were there in 2019, he has not consistently hit above 250 in his career, save for, say, that 2019 season. Yeah, and certainly the composition of the baseball that season draws into question the validity of that season. And like most things, I'm sure the the truth is in the middle. I think he's got enough power, and I think he's got enough on-base skills, and he handles lefties well enough that if he hits 250, he can give you a respectable on-base percentage and a good slugging percentage. And he plays good defense in right field, so you still have a nice player. But, yeah, if he if he dips much beneath 250 – I'm not sure that he's going to take enough walks to justify hitting at or near the top of the the order as he has 
kind of alternated with Jorge Polanco up there and they've mixed in Louis Arise and you know they've got they've got some options up there they've got a, a lot of fluidity and Rocco Baldelli's pretty creative with how he constructs his lineups but yeah I think Kepler settles in as a guy who you know can can threaten to play in an all-star game he's not going to be an MVP candidate or anything like that but he's going to be a guy who if he has a real strong first half might be in that mix and maybe at the end of the year he hits 25 homers maybe 35 40 doubles and you look back at it at the end of the year and maybe he didn't wow you with any individual play but you had a, a real solid contributor across the board maybe outside of batting average if you're a fantasy baseball player we're here with Brandon Warren of Access Twins previewing the Minnesota Twins here on MLB Morning <laughs> Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. Brandon, Andrelton Simmons, to me, was a great pickup for the Twins because, number one, he's a defensive whiz, and number two, he bridges the gap to whenever the Twins decide to call up. I know Royce Lewis has suffered a season-ending injury, and maybe he was a couple years away, but Nick Gordon is somebody that I thought might be able to hold down the fort at shortstop until Lewis is ready, and then maybe you have a combination of those two guys on the infield. What are your early impressions of Andrelton Simmons, and what does he provide for a team that really is a veteran-laid infield? Yeah, it's a wonderful pickup because anytime you can have a left-side defense of Simmons and Donaldson, that's going to help, especially guys like Randy Dobnak, who are ground ball reliant, and, and some of the guys in their bullpen are as well. Uh, you know, he's not going to do a ton for you offensively. I'm thinking he'll probably hit near the bottom of the order behind Byron Buxton, maybe do some hit and run because he doesn't strike out, doesn't really walk. He just puts the ball in play. And moving Jorge Polanco over to second, not only takes a rise out of the mix defensively, who wasn't a particularly good defensive second baseman, but Polanco should obviously be able to handle that transition as well. The twins saw with guys like Brian Dozier that you can move off shortstop and be a really good second baseman. Dozier eventually won a gold glove. And I think, Maybe Polanco can't be counted on to do that, but any improvement he makes at second base is going to give them three of four defensive infielders who are going to be strong. And, and Miguel Sano's continuing to be a work in progress at first base. As, as far as the future at shortstop, I think they deliberately did a one-year deal with a shortstop just to see what's out there next year. That was before they knew Lewis would get hurt, but obviously the next, uh, the next free agent crop of shortstops is going to be loaded. Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Lindor, if he doesn't sign an extension, Corey Seager, Javi Baez, and then also Simmons and Semyon, who will also hit free agency again. So they can take a year, see how they feel about Simmons. They can bring him back if they want. They can assess where they're at in terms of Lewis's recovery. And if they want, they can go out and spend big money on a shortstop and maybe structure the deal so that the big money kicks in when Donaldson's contract expires. So I think, too, the elephant in the room is if the Twins don't get an extension with Byron Buxton, Royce Lewis's future might be in center field. And I don't know how much an ACL injury affects his future up the middle, either at short or at in center. But it's, uh, it's another year that they're going to have to wait to find out where he's at in, in that respect, too. I know they're, they're working on talking about an extension with Buxton, but if they don't extend him, then it, it looks like you, you're looking at either Lewis or Celestino out there and then maybe your shortstop spot opens up in a year. So there's a lot of balls in play here. The Twins like versatile players. So I don't know anything more about shortstop next year than anybody else. And I think that even the Twins would say they're still certainly wondering who it's going to be.
So following up on that, considering he's a former fifth overall pick and somebody that had a solid year in Rochester in 2019, is Nick Gordon not a part of this future? Maybe he's a utility player, but I don't think they view him as any kind of regular. Um, I just don't know if he's got the the physical builder tools to play every single day. So we'll see. I, I mean, obviously you don't want to shut the door because he's got a big league pedigree, both from his father, Flash Gordon, and his brother, D. But I don't know that they're counting on him as being anything more than a utility guy who can play his way into more playing time based on showing competence and certainly missing last year. And he's dealt with some injuries, both physical and, uh, you know, his, his, uh, I think he had a, a digestion issue too. Uh, so he's had some issues that he's had to fight through and he had, he did like you say, have a good, nice, uh, good season at Rochester in 2019. The prospect luster isn't completely worn off, but there's not a ton there that people are super excited about still. I think if he makes a, a splash in the big leagues, it'll be as a super utility guy. We're here with Brandon Warren of Access Twins on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days Minnesota Twins Preview. Brandon, I used to work in the Midwest League, and one of the first guys that I saw when he was in Cedar Rapids was Luis Arias. And this is a guy that hits for a high average, high contact guy, but absolutely no power. And that is shown in his year plus at the big league level in Minnesota. Is there a future for him long-term considering that he's a guy that's never going to hit for power? And as you alluded to, he's not great defensively. So a guy like him is interesting because he has all the attributes of a guy that you want as a contact hitter, but there are certain other parts about him that are less desirable, meaning the lack of power and the lack of positional versatility. Yeah, I think they're going to try to move him around a little bit to see if that versatility can be fleshed out a little bit. And certainly it's going to be a work in progress defensively. And the, the hard thing about that is if you're a utility player, you have to make growth at a lot of positions rather than just focusing on one, whether it's second base, third base, wherever. But if you, if you keep in mind, Rocco comes from kind of that Joe Madden coaching tree or managing tree, they're going to, they're going to get a lot of use out of him from a versatility standpoint, like obviously Madden did out of Zobrist and how Kevin Cash now gets that out of guys like Yandy Diaz and, and whoever else they move around. So I think they're going to move a rise around and, and get as much use out of him as they can. But at the same time, too, I think they made the right choice that Polanco would start at second and a rise would be the utility guy as opposed to vice versa, because Polanco is just the, the stronger all around player. And if the power never comes and if he just hits kind of for an empty 300 batting average, certainly there's worse things than than that. But in that case, then you know, maybe you don't want him to play every day. Maybe you want to mix and match. Maybe you want him to grind out and at bat late in the game against someone else's closer, which he's, he's proven to be really good at. So I think they're going to find a role for him that will result in anywhere from 300 to 450 plate appearances. Um, a lot of that's going to be contingent on Donaldson's health too, because if he's not healthy, he could either play third base or he could play second and Polanco could move over to third. So it's just a nice little built-in backup plan for if Donaldson were to get hurt and they had that built in with Marwin Gonzalez in the last uh, two seasons and now Arise kind of assumes that role and obviously for a lot less money so I think the twins are happy with how they've built Arise into a player and and what the role will be for him this year but it'll be interesting to see how he takes to it uh, especially defensively like you said a lot of people were surprised a lot of people weren't 
about what I'm about to ask you, Brandon. So I'll ask you as somebody that covers the twins, were you surprised they moved on from Eddie Rosario? No, no. I think the writing was on the wall. It's, you know, he was a, he was a good player, but they, he was just always just a little bit shy of becoming the best version of himself. And it was because of plate discipline and the twins, you know, a hundredth percentile outcome for Eddie Rosario would have been the second coming of Kirby Puckett. And he just never could quite get there. And that's not fair to put that on him because Kirby Puckett's a hall of famer and one of the most beloved twins of all time. But it just, it felt like Rosario was just shy of putting it together. The physical tools are all there. There isn't a pitch he can't put in play. The problem is the pitches he chooses to put in play are not the pitches he should. And if you add plate discipline to his skill set and his defense, if it's at his best, you're talking about a guy who could be a potential star, but it just, it never quite all kind of came together here in Minnesota. And I know they really love Alex Kirilov to take over for him and left. So it just, it was time, you know, I think Rosario is going to do some good things in Cleveland. He's got a one-year deal. And then at that point he's, um, you know, he's, he's going to hit free agency with, uh, without any years of club control left. So he's got a lot to prove in Cleveland this year. So maybe that discipline comes and maybe he does become a star, but I just don't think it was going to happen in Minnesota. And they really wanted to kind of turn things over to some kids in left field. So, yeah, it was the writing was kind of on the wall. Brandon, I remember in 2018, I was up visiting my cousins in Seattle and I saw Nelson Cruz's final game as a Mariner. And there were a lot of people that thought that he was just done. Like the power numbers were good, but he was still striking out at a high rate. He was getting old. They weren't going to re-sign him. He goes to Minnesota and he has one of the biggest resurgences over two years for a guy that is in his late thirties, now his forties that I've ever seen in his twins career. He is a 300 hitter. His on-base percentage is close to 400 in 2019. He hit 41 homers and drove in 108 runs. And last year in 53 games, he had 16 homers and drove in 33 runs. What is behind Nelson Cruz's, old man resurgence and can he keep this up moving into what is going to be his age 41 year once he hits July yeah I mean father time is undefeated and I think we all know that and sometimes we even feel that when we get up in the morning but it's uh it's in it's impressive it, you see videos of of Nelson working out in the Dominican and and wherever else he is in the offseason and it's very clear he takes it very seriously. And, you know, you don't get to play in the big leagues in your late 30s and early 40s without doing that. It's just not an accident. It's, it, it's hard to bet against him because he keeps proving people wrong. And I think we all know at some point he won't be able to turn around big league fastballs anymore. But I'm not going to be the person to say that's going to be this year, next year, or the year after. Because uh, you can you can choose to be wrong, or you can just hope for the best. And I think that it's uh, it's just it, you you can't help but marvel at what he's been capable of. And all off season, when it wasn't certain they were going to bring him back, you look at that lineup, and it takes on a, a much different dynamic with versus without Cruz. So, granted, it took the NL saying that they weren't going to have the DH this year for the marketplace to kind of close down. But obviously, it's a good thing for the Twins offensively to bring Cruz back and 
if he doesn't have quite the season he did before, if he can't quite stay as healthy as he has in the past, they do have some built-in backup options in terms of Brent Rooker and Mitch Garver if Ryan Jeffers is catching and Donaldson can DH every now and then. Miguel Sano can DH every now and then. They do have some options, but again, I would never bet against Nelson Cruz because I would have lost a lot of money by now. Yeah, and that's certainly not money that anybody wants to lose because no. Nelson Cruz, he he is one of the more impressive players for his age of anybody that's ever been playing into his 40s. We're here with Brandon Warren of Access Twins previewing the Minnesota Twins. You brought up the catching situation. Ryan Jeffers is a really young player, and he made his big league debut last year. I'm curious as to how the starts get split at catcher because Mitch Garver had a great 2019 season, but offensively he fell off the face of the earth in 2020. Meanwhile, Ryan Jeffers comes up, and granted, only 55 at-bats, he plays pretty darn well in his 26 games last year. Who is going to be this team's starting catcher? I don't think they have one. I think it's going to be a timeshare. And the tough thing is when Mitch Garber was sharing time with Jason Castro, it made a little more sense, the left-handed hitter, right-handed hitter, a defensive specialist versus the masher. And now Jeffers is probably the better defender, but Garber has really closed the gap. He's turned into a really good defensive catcher in the last few years, as opposed to, to where he was when he came up. So if you're trying to figure out who's going to play on any given day, that makes it a lot more difficult. And I think there'll be some first base in the mix for Garver. I think there'll be some DH in the mix for Garver, but it's, a, it's a spot where they could both play a hundred games based on mix and matching positions. But again, it's uh, it's two guys who are both really good players. And I don't know if it's a situation where if you have two catchers, you have none, but it's, it's going to be mixed and matched just by virtue of Rocco Baldelli being the manager. I'm just glad that I'm not the one that has to decide who plays on any given day because they're both very good. And the other dilemma is if you were to trade one of them and it would be Garver because he's older, then you run the risk of, yeah, your starter gets hurt and all of a sudden you have no depth or Garver breaks back out again, like he did in 2019 with the, the new team. So it's a good spot to be in. You never can say you have too much talent on a big league team, but trying to figure out the timeshare back there and, and who's going to be the de facto starter. I, I don't know that there's a right answer now. And frankly, in April, when the games start to actually matter, I don't think there's going to be a right answer then. And I don't think there's going to be a right answer in the middle of the season either, unless one of the guys either uh, gets hurt or is playing more first base or DHing more than we'd like to see. So Honestly, I know that's a long, rambling, cop-out answer, but I don't know that there's a strong answer at this point for who's going to be getting the lion's share of time behind the plate for the Twins this year. Hey, that's an answer that I'll take because it gives a realistic expectation of what the catching situation is going to be. Sure, sure. To move on to somebody, and I didn't realize this until I looked at his stats, Miguel Sano last year played more percentage of his team's games than he ever has in any of his prior five seasons. Health has been an issue for him in the past. So now that we're back to a full 162, is health once again, or at least the expectation given his past absences, is that a concern for Miguel Sano? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Because some of the injuries he's dealt with have been kind of fluke things. He 
he caught up his heel celebrating a, a, I think a Dominican championship series win during winter ball a couple years ago. And he's just kind of had some fluke stuff. He's seems to be in as good a shape as he's been in, which certainly that's a concern too. If you're bigger and out of shape, you're more prone to injuries. I think the biggest question for him is, can he make enough contact? And the strikeout rate got really alarming last year. He really struggled down the stretch and he really runs hot and cold. There'll be games where you can't sneak anything past him without him putting it into the upper tank at target field. And then there'll be games where he couldn't touch it with a boat or so he's more of a consistency issue, but again, too, the twins are pretty well insulated against that. Alex Kirilov can play first base and Brent Rooker can play first base. And they, they've got some guys who can move around and do some different things, but I health is not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about what might plague Sano this year. It's, it's strikeouts and just, not only strikeouts in terms of a raw total, but just contact, competitive contact, which is, uh, you know, really, really something that that plagued him uh, in September last year. You've talked a couple of times about Alex Kirilov, and this is somebody that is one of their top prospects, their first-round pick in 2016. He made his debut at the end of last season. Is he somebody – that you think is going to open up on the 2021 opening day roster, or are we going to have to wait to see him again in case there's an injury or somebody struggles? I think they're going to go with him as long as he's even just adequate in spring training. There's been talks about service time manipulation and that sort of thing. And I don't know. I think, I think the process of service time manipulation doesn't make sense unless you have an Uber super duper superstar prospect who's like 20 years old because look at Chris Bryant he was one of the best prospects you could have he was a little bit on the older side because he played in college and he was a corner guy and the Cubs did it anyway and then this whole offseason they talked about will they non-tender him will they trade him well what was the point of manipulating his service time when you didn't know if you wanted that last year in the first place so I think it's it's easy to be penny wise pound foolish with these guys six years down the road when it, for all you know, they could struggle their first two weeks in the big leagues, couldn't catch a cold, couldn't hit their way out of a wet paper bag and get sent down anyway. So I think to, to mess with the guy's development is just foolish. I think Kirilov should be on the roster from the jump and, you know, he'll probably hit like seventh to start, but he's the kind of guy who, if he develops the way people envision could hit second or third on a big league team or fifth or sixth. I don't think he's going to have enough power to really hit uh, cleanup necessarily, but he's going to be a, a good chain mover in an offense. He's going to get on base. He's going to drive the ball gap to gap, and he's going to take good at bats, which, uh, you know, it's like a, a real good professional hitter, like what people say about Michael Brantley. If he can be Michael Brantley, that's certainly a really nice player, and I really hope they bring him up for, for game one of the season. Well, I guess I have a follow-up question to that, and I'm not sure you know the answer or not. Because he made his debut in the postseason, has his service time clock already started? I don't believe so. I believe that it only counts for um, big league regular season games. And I think, too, it might be in the uh, the grandfathered in with a September where if you don't have a certain number of days in September – it doesn't start your official clock until the next year. I don't think so. But granted, it was uh, it was just one game, too. So not the end of the world. But 
I really think that uh, they need to bring him up. They, the fact that they thought enough of him to bring him up to play in a postseason game and to start in one says that they think he's he's ready enough to be a factor. So I think you kind of lose any moral high ground for saying he's not ready yet if you decided he was ready last October and then you say he's not in April. It just it doesn't add up to me. Couple more position player questions for Brandon Warren here on MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days Minnesota Twins preview. You talked about a little bit earlier in the show an extension for Byron Buxton, and that to me is interesting <laughs> because Buxton is a guy that is supreme defensively. We can't argue that. But he has not been the consistent offensive force that a lot of people expected when he was drafted second overall. So I guess the question is, if they are going to extend him, given that he has not been what they've expected offensively, what kind of dollar value and amount of years would you expect in an extension? Because he's making a little over $5 million this year. He's got one more year of arbitration next year before he hits unrestricted free agency after 2022. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> again, it's still a tools thing for him. You know, you saw power last year, and that was something that had been kind of lagging at times. And then the on-base skills kind of went out the window with that. And he didn't steal bases because he was hitting doubles and homers. I mean, you're not going to steal third. He's never stolen third in his entire career, which is actually um, <laughs> someone brought that up to me on Twitter the other day. He's, he's never stolen third. Um, I, I'm thinking it would probably be anywhere four to five years. And I mean, I'm totally spitballing here. Five years, 75, 80 million. And it's part of it feels steep because you've never had that one year where you're like, oh, he's locked in. He's got an 850 OPS, but it's good on base. It's good slugging. It's stolen bases. It's defense. And then on top of all that, healthy. Um, but if you put all that together and he's an MVP candidate this year, then suddenly that price skyrockets because then he's a year from free agency. If he finishes top five in the MVP, which his skill set says he could, his track record says he wouldn't, um, then you're in a spot where you waited too long. And that's the tough thing with a guy like Buxton, who not only has had sort of inconsistent production, but just inconsistent ability to stay on the field. So you really do have to kind of navigate that forest. And that's, that's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy to come to a dollar value because if a lot of his value comes from defense, that's hard to value on the free market as well. So I, I don't know if anything is going to happen this year, or if it's going to make sense for him to wait one more year, but if he waits one more year and he's decent this year, or he gets hurt or doesn't quite have the season he's hoping for, then that value craters, it probably gets cut in half. So I think there's a happy middle ground in there. And I think it could be in that five-year, $75 million range or four and 60. But I'm also willing to say that I could be completely wrong on that value. So hopefully we'll see what happens because he deserves to be in Minnesota for a long time. And, and Minnesota loves him when he's on the field. But um, I don't want to be quoted as this because uh, I could look really stupid here in a few days. Hey, look, this is a West Coast-based podcast. I don't think anybody – I know that there's one guy in Minneapolis that listens to this show. Shout out to you, Tyler Oman. But I don't think you're going to get anybody too angry by saying that, Brandon. So okay, good, uh, I wouldn't, good, I wouldn't good. worry too much. 
The last question I have on the position player's side is in regards to Trevor Larnick because he's put up really good numbers at the minor league level. He's a college guy. He's a guy that came from a storied college program. At what point do you think we see him in a big league uniform? At some point this year, it's going to take probably some sort of manufactured opportunity, something we're not foreseeing now, whether it's an injury to a corner outfielder or an injury just to know where Kirilov goes in and plays first base. And that opens up a corner outfield spot, but it's, it's clear he's close. He's not quite as close as Kirilov to being a big league regular, um, but it's not that far off. I think he's going to be another guy who we'll see how much the power turns into home runs. He's got a lot of opposite field power, but he's another guy who can go gap to gap, hits the ball hard, should be at least a, an okay defender out there. You know, he's not, probably not going to make a, make a ton of waves defensively, but another guy who can, can really, really hit. And they seem to have focused on guys like that in the last few drafts with Brent Rooker and Aaron Sabato. And so I like his chances of debuting this year. It certainly is not going to be helpful that it's going to be another month until the AAA season starts as opposed to when we thought it was going to. But he'll be up at the alternate training site. He'll be in that mix, and you know it'll take a 40-man roster move to get him on the roster. But with that said, that's not much of a, an issue with the kind of talent he's got. So I think we see him before the end of the year, and possibly even fairly early in the year. He's just you know he's advanced, like you said, Oregon State. He's uh, he's the kind of guy who can help you probably sooner rather than later, and hopefully the Twins find out how. We're here with Brandon Warren of Access Twins. Moving on to the rotation, Odorizzi is gone. So at this moment, at least the way that I see it, your rotation is Berrios, Pineda, Maeda, Dobnak, and probably Jay Happ. Is that accurate to say, or do you think that a Devin Smelter or a Lewis Thorpe ends up taking that fifth rotation spot? And what concerns do you have as the rotation is currently constructed? Well, I think Matt Shoemaker's in that mix too, but you can't really be certain he's going to stay healthy because he just hasn't in the last few years. And, you know, if he's, uh, if he's given up homers like he has in the past two, then maybe you put him in the bullpen or just move on from him altogether. Uh, they're in a, in a, similarly to last year, they're, in a, they're similar to last year in a lot of ways in terms of rotation depth where Dobnak, Smeltzer, and Thorpe are kind of in the, waiting in the wings if they're not going to be in that top five, but Dobnak wasn't going to be in the, the five to start last season. And then Odorizzi got hurt and never really got on track. And I think Dobnak made like the third most starts on the team. So well, the way we look at it now, I, I think it's kind of between Dobnak and Shoemaker for that fifth spot. And then whoever doesn't make it, will be kind of that uh, Jesse Chavez or Yusmero Petit kind of super starter slash uh, swing man reliever guy. But it's, uh, it's not – I don't think it's as deep as it was last year just because the Twins were waiting for Michael Pineda to come back from suspension. They were waiting to see if uh, Rich Hill would be healthy. And they had Homer Bailey, who ended up not really doing that much for him. So it didn't really pan out that that depth was as useful as it seemed like it would be. But I don't think they have as much of that built in this year, though – with that said, too, they like Johan Duran. They like Jordan Balazovic. They've got some kids who aren't terribly far off that they could also throw into the mix. So I think they can run about eight or nine deep. It's just maybe not as deep with veteran 
uh, veteran types this year. But I, I still think they're in a good spot because obviously Pineda will be able to start right away as opposed to being suspended. And J-Hap, if, uh, I think they're going to tweak his pitch mix a little bit, working on fastballs up in the zone like they did with Odorizzi. He's going to give them some innings as long as uh, as long as he's not giving up homers as he did too as a as a Yankee. So I think they're in an okay spot. I thought they probably would have been better off signing someone like Taiwan Walker or James Paxton instead of Shoemaker. But it's uh, kind of splitting hairs because you know everybody that was available in free agency in the last month carried some form of risk as pitchers usually do. And when we talk about that form of risk, was the decision to not bring Odorizzi back more of a, they didn't want to pay the type of dollars they think he would get versus the production that he had in 2020, which compared to what he was in the past, probably the worst year he's had in quite some time. I just think their dance card was full when it came time to signing him, which is too bad because he was really, really good in 2019. And I thought it made sense to run it back in 21 after I lost 2020. But you know what? Wish him nothing but the best in Houston. And Houston's probably going to be able to do some things with his pitching analytics to make him, assuming health again, uh, as good as he can be. But if, yeah, if things had panned out differently, if they knew that was the kind of deal he was going to get, I think things probably turn out differently. I, the Twins like him and he liked the Twins. So it's disappointing that it didn't work out that way. And I think it would have made more sense for him than, Matt Shoemaker, but if the budget doesn't allow it, the budget doesn't allow it. And that's, um, you know, they, they're more privy to that information than I am. What is the concern level about Michael Pineda being able to stay on the roster the entire season? Because he is, suspension aside, he has had a lot of health problems in the past. He's been pretty durable for the Twins, but again, that's easy to be durable when, you know, you're missing time and suspension wise. And so you're not expected to stay on the field as much, but uh, physically, you know, he's a big imposing guy. It uh, it's, it's impressive to watch him pitch. You're a little surprised. He's not throwing 95, 96, 97. It's more 92, 93 with good command and, and pretty good stuff. Uh, I, I'm not terribly worried about his durability. I think as weird as it seems, he almost seems like a right-handed CC Sabathia and Sabathia was, durable for a long, long stretch of his career. Um, you know, maybe that's sacrilegious to suggest because Pineda's already had the Tommy John surgery, but I don't, I don't see any real issues with his durability, which is to say that I'm obviously probably going to put my foot in my mouth here. If, uh, if he goes down with something in the first couple weeks of the season, but he, he's looked big, strong and durable for the twins when they've called on him. It's just that they haven't been able to do that enough because he's struggled to stay on the field for different reasons. couple more questions here for Brandon Warren of Access Twins. Who is this team's closer, Taylor Rogers or Alex Colome? I think Rogers is probably going to get the first crack, but similar to how they handle playing time on offense, Rocco Baldelli is going to mix and match at the back end, and they've got a pretty good four-pack with Colome, Rogers, Duffy, and um, Hansel Robles. So all of those guys have late inning experience. All of them, except basically Duffy, have fairly significant closing experience. So I think it could be a lot like last year, where I think Rogers got a lot of the opportunities, but Romo had closing experience. Clippard had closing experience. Trevor May had a lot of late inning experience. And Duffy was obviously very, very, very good. 
So it makes it kind of a minefield to navigate for fantasy baseball players because uh, Colome has, you know, he closed for the White Sox. But I, I do think Rodgers gets the first crack as the incumbent. With that said, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's again, it's going to be a uh, best guess situation on a given night. If they're facing batters 7, 8, 9 in the ninth inning with a two-run lead, does that mean Tyler Duffy? Does that mean Hansel Robles? What if it's two, three, four, and one of those guys is a lefty? Then does that mean Rogers? It's it's going to be the kind of thing where you might know two innings in advance, but you're definitely not going to know before the game, or or if you have to set a lineup for a week before the week. So it's a it's a tough situation to read from any standpoint. But I do think Rogers is kind of the lead dog in that pack. His numbers last year, his secondary numbers were good. Um, his ERA was was not particularly good, but I still think there's plenty of of talent there and I think he's still going to do a nice job final question here for Brandon Warren of Access Twins you mentioned some of the guys that have moved on from this bullpen this is a really young back end of the bullpen really I misphrased that it's a younger bullpen in general than it has been in the past. Is there some concern based on the lack of experience from guys like, and he's a friend of the program, Ian Jabot, Sean Anderson. I know Cody Stashak has been effective at times. Is there a little bit of concern with how young this bullpen is as a whole? Yeah, it's, I wrote about this yesterday. It's going to be a little different because to leapfrog guys to get time in this bullpen, it's not going to be, veterans like Clippert and Romo it's going to be guys like Stashak it's going to be guys like Smelter it's going to be guys like Thorpe I think they have enough arm talent Thorpe struck out the side in the first inning against the Rays on Sunday looked great doing it 93 from the left side a little bit of funk and they've got guys like Matt Cantorino and Josh Winder who are really good minor league types they're not on the they're not on the um 40-man roster but could move quickly They've got enough guys, Edouard Kalina comes to mind, Bailey Ober, other guys who are on the 40, to get it done. But it's going to take a matter of sifting through those guys in addition to Jabot, Ian Hamilton, and uh, Sean Anderson, Luke Farrell, Glenn Sparkman, um, Derek Law. I mean, they have a ton of guys. And to find the three who are going to be in front of that quartet that I matched or uh, that I that I said, or four, depending on how deep they go in the bullpen, it's going to be difficult. But Caleb Thielbar had a nice year last year. Jorge Alcala had a nice year. Cody Stashek looks like there's something there. They're going to be able to mix and match, and they're just going to have to know pretty quickly. Like, if they have a guy come in and get bombed, you know, they're going to have to swap him out for someone else and eventually find that right mix of guys. There's a lot of contenders. It's just a matter of uh, who are the right ones. Brandon Warren, we thank you very much for your time. Before we let you go, uh, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your work, and anything else you might want to plug. Yeah, so at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E on Twitter, then accesstwins.substack.com. All it takes is an email address to subscribe. If you want to throw some money, that's fine, but not required. Just uh, happy to have people reading for now. So accesstwins.substack.com and at Brandon underscore Warren on Twitter. Awesome. Brandon, thank you very much for your time today. This has been MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days Minnesota Twins Preview. Tomorrow, we head back to the East Coast where we preview the Boston Red Sox. Have a great day, everybody.